Welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today, we have with us the one Pickle Guy, host of How I Deal. He's a senior account executive at Pickle, and he is Junior Latte. Junior, welcome to the show. Charlotte, I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. I love that you threw in that one pickle guy because I feel like <laughs> at this point, that's what I am. I'm like that one pickle guy from that one thing, you know? Fantastic. I love it. And I want to start off by talking about a post on that you put on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it was a month back and it, and it really sort of it got a lot of engagement. And, and it was it was quite shocking because you posted the transcript anonymously, of course, of one of the calls that you had. It was a cold call where the prospect was not just rude, but brazen, extremely rude, and (laughs) told you to fuck off. (laughs) We do swear on this podcast. And then said you should look for, um, you shouldn't be, you know, why did you choose a job like sales? It was pretty, made for pretty sort of tough reading, what message sort of do you want to give our listeners? Because obviously a lot of salespeople absolutely dread cold calling. Um, to get a message, you know, to be told that on the phone is one of the you know the hardest things that you can hear. What message would you sort of want to tell our listeners who are afraid of cold calling? And how do you deal with a message that's as brazen as that? Yeah. For sure. This was a really interesting one. Just right out the gate. uh, The F word came, I think, within like 15 seconds of the call. So it just happened, escalated so fast. Um, But in cold calling in general, I think it's probably like one in every 1000 calls that you get a really hardcore no. Right. Like a lot of times it'll be like the brush is off or like, hey, I'm not interested or just a straight hang up. Those things are normal. But maybe one in a thousand, you'll get one of these where it is like, you have ruined my day for calling me and I hate you. And they let you know, right? That's what, yeah. that's what that was. Um, I tried to de-escalate, probably not in the best way. I, I was like, hey, can we like calm down just for a second and regroup? But at that point, uh, the conversation was too far gone. So it's just one of those you know, stories for uh, the neighborhood barbecue and one <laughs> that I think anyone who cold calls – Like you're bound to have a story like that. Yeah. And certainly, you know, normally, though, what what would happen is you you would get told to get lost and and the phone goes down straight away. But it seems like this person was obviously having a really, really bad day. And, and, you know, you you happen to stumble upon them and they let loose completely. (laughs) One of the worst lines. Okay, the F off is pretty bad. But one of the worst parts about that call is he said amateur hour. He's like, what is this, amateur hour? And I was just like, oh, I'm so annoyed, you know, because, like, not that I am the best cold caller out there, but I make a lot of cold calls. Um, And he just was really not having it. So amateur hour, F off, all those things is something that I think everyone will run into once in a while. But the funny thing is, You'll dial a few more times that same day. You'll have a pleasant conversation with someone. Maybe you don't book something, but uh, in the end, it's not every call, right? It's just like the one in 1,000. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And the other day I had the first uh, sort of three calls I made, they all got answered. I think I got one meeting booked and two were really pleasant. 
So, you know, the prospect wanted to talk. Um, my solution wasn't going to be a right fit for them. Uh, so, you know, it, it really helps when you have sort of those conversations. As you say, you might not book a meeting, but it, it sort of helps balance everything out, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And if you can, I actually have the transcripts from my cold calls. So a lot of times I'll just copy and paste those into like a ongoing Word document or something like that because it's just something to reflect on later. It's kind of funny, especially calls like that. Um, so, you know, if you're having great conversations and you don't really know why, start doing that. And, uh, you know, maybe you can find a pattern or figure out an opener that you're most confident with. But uh, when you get told F off, just know there's others out there that are getting the same thing and you just keep, you know, keep ringing, find someone else and good conversations will come. Yeah, absolutely. And writing it down. I like that, you know, keeping the transcript because it's something that you posted on LinkedIn and you got a hell of a lot of support from the sales community and you know, being able to see that it knows that we're, you know, each salesperson, you might have a terrible day cold calling, but you're not alone. Yeah. Yep. Um, and more and more, I think we're starting to see like cold calling turn into more of a community thing. Like yeah. there's better access to cold call, not by yourself at your own computer alone. Um, especially where like the sales floor feel we're getting away from that with remote stuff. Yeah. Um, but we're still opening ways to find, you know, that type of sales floor community, SDR, AE community, where you can cold call with others and not just like be isolated in your room for hours calling which you know would be horrible <laughs> it really is and i work fully remote so you know every day i cold call and time block and for me linkedin is it's it's like my virtual water cooler moments it's, like, it's my virtual office so you know i like to share the good and the bad and the ugly because i know that i'm going to get quite a lot of support and emotional support you know which i'm not going to get as much if i'm in a, a real office although you know in yeah. a real office people overhear you speaking but it's it's kind of not the same um i think i prefer the virtual <laughs> <laughs> I, you know it's uh go, like you can go business to business and you likely won't get the f off i think it's unique to cold calling <laughs> yeah so there's that there's that yeah and so that what got you into sales and what do you wish that you knew about sales when you first started out yeah okay this is going to be a you know decently unique story about how i got into sales um i'm actually the member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints formerly known as mormon a lot of young men when they turn 18 to 19 they go out into the world for two years and they knock door to door and contact people on the street and yeah. try to convert them to the church, right? It's like um, essentially selling Jesus. That's a really poor way to put it, but that's what I did for two years. Yeah. Um, and it was hard, like really hard uh, trying to change someone's fundamental beliefs. Then I get introduced to sales and sometimes I'm selling a product that people really want and people really need. And it was so much easier than uh, knocking on a stranger's door, talking about religion and talking about Jesus. So that was like, Hey, uh, I sold, you know, I sold Jesus for two years. Uh, and now I'm selling something that is way easier to sell. Um, so that's what got me into it. I just found like, Hey, I did this for two years 
and now I can do it for something that's easier, which was a really nice transition. Um, what I wish I had known is that sales learning, mm -hmm. there's like a massive curve. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. As soon as you start thinking like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm really good at this. You get yourself in a deal and you're like, I am absolutely in over my head. You know, um, you start learning like, oh, I should be texting with my prospects. I should be, you know, on a personal basis with people. I should be more connected than I am. All these pieces, you know, start to come to fruition. So uh, if I knew now what I, you know, wish I knew was it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's okay to ask for help. You've got an internal team for a reason. Just use that resource as much as possible until you're comfortable just pulling the reins yourself. Great tips there. And I can't imagine how difficult that must have been, you know, when you're knocking on doors at 18 or 19. And in Europe, we would the equivalent would probably be the Jehovah's Witnesses who would knock on, on yep. doors and do just that and get, you know, doors slammed in their face because religion is such a contentious issue, isn't it? Um, it really is. It really is. <laughs> that and politics, right? Those are like yeah. the two, like, don't talk to me about these things unless we're aligned kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, what's really funny, Charlotte, is there is a couple times on my mission where I'm on one side of the street and the Jehovah Witnesses were on the other side of the street, right? We're like doing the same thing. And I would be like, hey, uh, did this house answer for you? Are they cool? Should I go over there? Right. Because um, we're, all, we're all out, uh, not doing the same thing, but trying to help people, you know, with their beliefs and find some foundation. And the sales world is very similar, right? You have competitors and it's not like your competitors hate you. Like, it's just you're out there trying to fundamentally help someone change the way their organization runs. Um, so some comparisons there as well. Yeah. And ultimately, what we're selling is change and disruption, isn't it? So it, it, it's often, you know, it's a mindset shift. We talked about this before we came on air. You have to be able to tell the story and sort of contextualize that when you're selling a solution that you know, you know, you can't just go in and say, I know this is going to be better for you because it does. It's got this, this, this. And <laughs> um, it, it's really sort of getting under the skin of the problems and, you know, being able to to align your solution to, to solving your your prospect problems yeah yeah and there's some problems are very surface level right yeah. like the save money save time be more efficient and then some problems run really deep and it's like we you know have horribly low conversion rates um or you know there's no way for the team to collaborate on aspects of the deal right and there's like the things that you can get deeper into and those deeper meanings will essentially be the thing that pushes the deal across the line yeah very well put love that how do you think that because we're obviously about sales and marketing and, and sort of with, with all the time that you've been at pickle how do you think sales and marketing could be better aligned because there's always traditionally been a tension between the two teams Life at Pickle is fairly unique. There's nine of us building a product full time. Uh, I My tagline is that one pickle guy, but maybe it should be like that one of two pickle guys because Taylor Dolan, he's our marketer and he is like the brain behind the content vision of Pickle. And me and him work hand in hand. A lot of the blogs 
that Pickle is releasing are based on my LinkedIn posts or messages that I get when I'm out prospecting. So I'll have an idea or I'll bring something to him and I'll be like, hey, can you help me create this? And he'll be like, you know, we could actually spin that into a full podcast or we could spin that into a series of blogs, you know, and it really helps him on the content side, but it also helps me create frameworks on the sales side and helps me like start to, I don't know, build some awareness around the pickle brand outside of just me trying to sell every day. I love that. Um, and, you know, the fact that you're going out there and bringing ideas and, and, and helping marketing, this is what it should be about, isn't it? Because traditionally sales did their thing, marketing did their thing, uh, and they were very, very misaligned. And, you know, they'd be like, oh, your marketing leads, don't, you know, they're, they're not bringing me any sales. And, um, you know, I, I've worked <laughs> at several organizations where there's been a lot of that and almost competition. I mean, it. I think, you know, it's healthy to have a little bit of competition between sales and marketing, but ultimately I think, you know, both, both roles should, should definitely work closer together. And it seems like you're doing a great job of it at Pickle. Yeah. In fact, so Charlotte, you're going to be on our podcast here shortly called How I Deal. And the way that that podcast started is I was texting Taylor. He's a marketing guy. I was like, there are so many podcasts out there about prospecting. But none are about like the actual like deal and how people organize and manage a deal. It's like, what if we considered like doing something like that? Next morning, I wake up. He's created a, a couple of logos, and he's like, "Let's do it." And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> okay. So this is real now, right?" Um, so like turning just like an idea into some actual piece of content, something deliverable, is uh, what marketing can really do. Whereas you know, sales, a lot of times we do have to focus on what's in the pipeline and we do have to focus on the people we're trying to sell and work and prospect. Um, but when sales and marketing can be more aligned, it opens up time for both things to be accomplished. Yeah. And I love that, that you started the idea because no one's talking about the actual deal. So you turn that idea into content, um, really original. What do you think should you know, we talk about the good, and the, the good and the bad on this on this podcast. What do you think should stop in sales or in marketing tomorrow if it was down to you, Junior? Yeah, uh, it's really hard to know what should stop because it's so like uh, personal and based on experience. So for me personally, I am like so overwhelmed with community stuff. Right? Like I'm in so many community Slack channels and stuff. It's hard to manage. Yeah. And I'm not saying those should stop, but I think people are starting to find like a niche of where they feel they belong. So not a direct answer to your question, but I get hit up a lot like, hey, can you join this community? Do you want to be part of this? And I'm like, guys, I am so spread thin. Um, I have to be very selective about my time and about what I do. So maybe that's like the lesson is time is becoming way more valuable um, and people are realizing that. And so it's like figuring out where to spend the bulk of your time outside of just what your daily job entails. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of Slack channels, I'm in two. I was in three, but I've dropped that now because it's just, it, you know, as you say, it just gets too much. And it's like it's quality, isn't it, over quantity? Yeah, yep. And 
you start to add right customers to like Slack Connect, and you start to join other communities out there, and you're just constant notifications that are pulling you away from whatever you're trying to do in the moment. Um, so maybe you know we talk a lot about noise, a lot about clutter, but there's so much of it. Figuring out the best way to cut that down so it doesn't negatively impact you. I think that's where people are at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's all about sort of switching off those notifications, uh, minimizing interruptions and making sure that it's it, it's it's not negative and that you're learning something, right, from, from these communities because that's, in, yeah. in essence, that's what they're about. So we're now opposite sort of question to you now. Where do you see the future of sales and marketing going? So what, what exciting things can we expect? Yeah. Um, there's a huge shift, like, I don't know, maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago, where the SDR role was a pretty integral part of the models that people were using to sell, right? And SDR goes out and prospects, books meetings, hands it off to the account executive, I don't know. I'm not saying that that is going to go away, but I do think the SDR role is going to shift into something much bigger where we're starting to see people as career SDRs, right? Like I am so good at top of funnel, but I want to be paid like an account executive. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, leeway in the way that the SDR model is ran and uh, monetized financially. I think SDRs want to get paid more, especially for the ones that call themselves like um, like social evangelists, you know, or something like that. I've seen a, a few of those roles pop up where you're influencing the market, um, but you're not direct, you know, you're not on this tra- uh, trajectory of growth from SDR to AE to VP of sales or sales mm-hmm. leader, right? So that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing now, and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, in the next few years if uh, SDRs were on, on a total different pathway. Yeah, and I find it so interesting because, you know, it's an American concept. Obviously, I'm from the UK, and I've worked with UK international companies but that are based in the UK. There's just a full cycle sales rep. There's no SDR. There's no, well, there might be a business <laughs> development manager, account manager, account director, but there's no SDR and, and AE. It's not split that way. And when you think about it, you know, sales, is it's complex, it's difficult. I like the fact that, you know, there is the SDR role and it's given that importance because the top of the funnel activity is super important. You know, without SDRs, you know, there wouldn't, AEs wouldn't be able to do what they do. Yep. Yep. Um, and this figuring out the best way to close the gap between a, uh, SDR handoff to AE because nobody wants to go into discovery and be asked, you know, the same things that the SDR did. So it, maybe it'll be less of SDR doing that type of booking outreach where they mm-hmm. do hold qualification conversations and more so just let's get time on the calendar and uh, a different envision of what the SDR role is today. Yeah, and I love that. And especially what you say about sort of the social evangelism as well, because we're seeing that a lot more now um, on LinkedIn. Before we, we wrap, what one tip or two would you want to give to our audience so they can take away and implement straight away? Yeah, this one is super easy, very actionable. Any deal that you are working 
just assume that you have permission to go and do. So let's say you start an opportunity with X company and you know there's other stakeholders you need to get a part of, just reach out to them preemptively. Hey, Charlotte, this is Junior from Pickle. I'm talking with Chad, your VP of sales. Tomorrow, I would love to get a conversation on the calendar, right? Cold call those people. Cold call anyone that may be relevant to the conversation. If you've got time booked on the calendar, make the assumption that it's okay for you. Just consider it a green light and go. Additionally, on top of that, is start connecting with people in the organization the people that will be your users, maybe not your decision makers, right? Not your influencers, but go connect with as many users as you can. Chat with them, drop them, LinkedIn connections. Um, you want your name talked about at the company as much as possible. And at the end of the day, when they buy, you almost want them to buy because they know that one pickle guy, not because of pickle, right? If you can get to that stage, yes. it's very powerful as a seller. Oh, I love that. And yeah, a lot of salespeople, I think, underestimate the power of um, really networking with with other stakeholders who, you know, they might not be the decision makers, but they're champions, influencers, the end users. In fact, I was speaking with a salesperson the other day who was saying, well, I'm, I'm selling to the decision makers, but I'm not getting very far. And I said, well, you know, have you thought about identifying who the users are? Of, of your solution how will how will this impact them you know how is this going to help them work better yep. solve their problems and it was sort of that aha moment you know oh i need to i need to go and look at you know some of the users in the individual teams and get their feedback so yeah great always be memorable i love it it's a, i mean if you uh if you reach out to your users and you mention the name of their manager they're going to be more inclined to meet with you. Right? It's like, hey, I'm meeting with your marketing manager. I'm meeting with your so and so on Friday. Can we chat? They'll, you know, they're going to say yes. <laughs> more often than not, they'll probably say yes, and you, you can find a way to have conversations outside of your deal, outside of the people that are going to make the direct decision. And in turn, you'll find some really valuable, you know, pieces of information at the ground level. Yeah, because, you know, if you ask them to, for their feedback and in, well, lots of people within organizations would have time to sort of give their insights, wouldn't they? And, you know, it, it, they're not essentially being sold to. You're just getting feedback about, you know, how, how your solution might help them. Yep, I agree. Great. It's been a great show. Um, before we wrap, Junior, where can people find you? Oh yeah, I'm a pretty you know I'm a pretty active user on LinkedIn. Uh, Junior Latte at Pickle, the one pickle guy. Find me there. Drop me a message. Drop me a connect. I'm more than happy. I, I do a decent job at making myself accessible. And one thing that I do that's pretty unique is I open my commute drive, which is 30 minutes in the morning on my way to work and 30 minutes in the afternoon on my way home from work. So if you want to chat about uh, anything you heard today or other things on your mind, I'd love to I'd love to network. Wow, fantastic. Love that. To all our listeners, don't forget to give us a rating, uh, give us your feedback, and we'll see you on the next show.